Open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go right back uh, to where we have been, and we're going to continue going through the creation story as told by God in the book of Genesis. And I want us to really focus on having our eyes open to see the gospel in the creation story as we go through this series. And so I want to begin this morning with a point that we actually made last week. And I want to remind you of that, and then I want that, that to be the springboard to get your mind thinking for how we will read the rest of chapter 1 in Genesis. And this is that point. God knows what is good for us and moves to provide it. Do you remember that from last week? We saw that in the creation of light and light being separated from the darkness and how spiritually the light of Christ has come into the world to separate us from the spiritual darkness that we are born in because of sin and because of the fall. And that's a good point. But if we're honest, do we sometimes find it hard to believe it? Do we sometimes, if we can just be honest with each other, go through circumstances and trials and and tragedy where we hear that and it sounds very trite and it just we struggle to believe it when life is just when we go through a great loss sometimes we can struggle to believe that's true when life is just hard and it seems like every step of the way we just have to work so hard to put one foot in front of the other we have to work so hard to just breathe sometimes that That can be hard to believe. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God knows what is good for us and provides it when we think we have an idea of what good things should be coming. And we tell God that, right? We have an idea of what we think would be good. And we say, God, this is what I want. This is what I think would be best case scenario here. Could you make this happen? And for whatever reason, the answer is no. Or maybe wait is the answer, but, but we, we have an idea of what we're pretty sure would be good. And, and for some reason, God doesn't line up with that. He doesn't provide it. He doesn't allow it. And we think maybe he's not as good as we think he is. And then sometimes when we get ourselves caught into those circumstances, we can go so far as to even think that not only does God not want good things for us, maybe he actually wants bad things and some people have that kind of picture of God that he's that he's domineering that he's authoritative that he wants to bring bad things into our lives and that's just not the picture of God in the Bible and and if we let circumstances and things outside dictate our picture of God other than what he's revealed of himself to us then we'll get a really messed up picture But that's not the picture of God that's in the Bible. And that's not the picture of God that's in the creation story. This is the picture of God in the creation story. And so I've got a lot of ground to cover. We are going to try to read through the rest of chapter 1, okay? And I know what y'all are thinking because y'all know me. So I'm going to try to move through this as quickly as I can. So as, as I've heard it said before, if, if I move quickly, you got to listen quickly, okay? And we will move through this. But I want you to, I, I, I'm going to bring up some points um, through the whole creation story, the rest of chapter 1. And, and I'll bring up some points here and there. And then we're going to wrap it up. And there's a big idea that I want you to get at the end, okay? Um, and, but before we go into that, I do want to address one question. Anytime you, you look in Genesis chapter 1, the question always rises. Eric, what do you believe about the, the account of creation in Genesis? Did God really create everything in the world in six days? Or what does six days mean in Genesis? Does six days mean uh, six like mornings and evenings, like six 24-hour days? Is that the creation story in Genesis? Or do days... In the Bible, is that sort of a picture of long periods of time? Because, you know, science says that the earth is billions and billions of years old. So are these days in the Bible, to make it kind of go along with science, do those days, do those actually mean like millions of years, like big long periods in between? And did God really just take that long? And and when Moses wrote it, he just put it into days. 
I think we ask those questions. Those are good questions to ask. But I think the reason that we fundamentally ask those questions is that we feel a need to have science line up with the Bible to make us feel better. Right? That, like that's something that we want because we, we want it to, to sink and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, in my life over the years, I've wrestled with different ideas and I've, I've even come to other conclusions about, um, about what I believe about this. And it's like, yeah, it's okay. I can, you can believe the Bible's true, but then you can also believe that it took all of these you know, millions of years to make the world. And that doesn't really contradict each other. But I'll be honest with you, the more I gave myself to study... And the more I did what I've challenged us to do already in this series is to begin with God's Word. To let God's Word be our starting point. Let it be the foundation that everything else is built on. If we do that, I want to give you the short answer. Now, there's lots of debate, lots of stuff that it would take days for me to wash through with you. But here is what um, the short answer. That I believe if we look at the language the original Hebrew language in Genesis 1 in the account of creation and compare that to the same language that's used all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it will absolutely lead us to the conclusion of a literal six-day creation. Now, whatever your, your uh, opinion or, or um, you know, reaction to that statement is, I want you to stay with me. Here's the reason that I think there, there is... There is literary evidence to, to look at the account of God and say this is what God meant when he said it. We said already that we wanted to start, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we said that we want to start with the idea that, that God is creator of all things. Can we all be on that page? Amen. All right, yes. That God created all things. And since God is the creator of all things, he is also an adequate communicator of all things. And so God doesn't really need us as his creation to help him figure out a better way to communicate his own account of how he created all things, right? He, he, he doesn't need our help. So if he's a, the creator, sovereign, then we also believe that he's an adequate communicator. He is able to communicate in the way that he desires to communicate to us the story of creation. And so if we start with scripture... If we start with what God's word says rather than starting with science and trying to have science mold the way scripture speaks. If we let scripture speak for itself, then the six day account of creation is absolutely accurate. Because do we believe that God being all powerful creator and sovereign can do all of this in six literal days? Is he not capable of this? Amen. Absolutely. So for us to say he's not capable is to diminish his glory, is to take something out. It's actually when we try to line up science, and, I, and I've done this in my life before. When we try to line up the two in sync, we're actually reading something into the text that's not there. We're taking scientific discovery, which is a good thing, and but we're adding it into the account of God's word and we're trying to make the two reconcile with one another when that really was never the intention of God. We, if we allow God's word to speak for itself and we say we believe what it says, then that is the conclusion that, that we have to land on. Um, he is completely capable. It really depends on your view of it, depends on where you want to be your starting point. Do you want God to be the starting point? Or do you want science to be the starting point? It's like, it's like the Lego set that Ben's building. Which brick do you want to be the first piece? Do you want God to be the first piece, the move and the authority of God? Or do you want science to be the first piece? God created all of it. He's the creator of all things. It's not that they have to be in opposition to one another at all the time. It's just where does it start? And so if we believe it starts with God, then we can read the, the six-day creation account and we can believe it and we can trust that it's a miraculous event. It's an account of a miraculous creation. This is the, this is the separation between a miraculous creation and a scientific creation. A miraculous six-day creation can't be reproduced. 
Most scientific proofs, most scientific laws, science is based on what is reproducible, what can be replicated. At any point, you can take certain elements, certain things, put them together, and you will always get the same conclusion. Science is proven by replication, reproduction. But you can't reproduce a miracle. And so to put science as a judge over a, a natural science, as judge over a supernatural event, doesn't work. So we either believe that God created the world the way he said he did as a miraculous creation or we bind the work of God to the laws of science as best we can understand it as people. So we're going to read this. I'm going to read this and we're going to read it as God has presented it as a miraculous six-day creation and that's what we're going to go with. Are you all good with that? All right. There we go. Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at verse 5. Let's begin. And again, I want you to see, based on, remember that idea. God knows what is good and he, he works to provide it. Verse 5 in Genesis 1 says, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. This was an evening. and There was an evening and there was a morning. One day. We read that last week. Verse 6. Then God said, remember everything that comes into creation comes into creation by the word of God. Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And so it was. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning, the second day. Day two was the separation of the sky and the seas. We said that the earth was void and without form. God created light. And then it says that water covered the, the face of the earth, the surface of the earth, and then God made an expanse. And, and as Moses writes that he uses this Hebrew word expanse, your Bible may say firmament. There was, a, there was an ancient Hebrew idea that the atmosphere actually had a a a canopy or a vault of a ceiling over the sky that, that water and moisture was on top of. That there was like a vault or a ceiling to the atmosphere where there was water above and that's what kept that from coming to the earth. Some, some scholars even say that there may have been that sort of a, a thing in, a, in an early new earth um, that would have... Because rain wasn't a thing, that this might have been an actual thing that, that made everything be able to grow and, and to have moisture and all of those things. But for us, what we know is this is a, this is a de- description of God creating atmosphere, of creating sky, clouds, everything above the surface of the earth, that space between the, the universe and, and, and like the atmosphere and the, and the surface of the planet. This is when God would have created air, oxygen. This is when those elements, the, the, the particles, the, the molecules and the atoms and the elements that make up the air that we breathe. God miraculously takes all those elements that he created and he puts those together and he creates air and oxygen for us to breathe. And he was, he was making a space that would be a space that was needed for other things he was going to create later. So let's keep going. Look at verse 9. Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw what? That it was good. Say it again. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation. Seed bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation. 
seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw, evening came, and then morning, the third day. So there's two big works of God in day three of creation. There's the creation of the land and the sea and the separation of those. And then there's the creation of vegetation, plants, and trees on the dry land. All of this takes place in day three. Now there's a couple of things I want you to note about the description of the, the creation of the land and the seas and the vegetation. Notice in verse 12 that it says that God created vegetation. That means all vegetation. But then there are two specific ones that are mentioned. Seed-bearing plants and fruit trees that bear fruit with seed. So we know those weren't the only two types of vegetation. Any, any kind of plant life was created on day three. But there's a specific note of these two. And why would that be? Because these two would be made for food. These are the two that would, that would be made to reproduce because they were food. Because if God had created certain plants to be food for what and who he would create later and he didn't make them reproducible, then they would eat, there would be a limited supply, and then it would all be gone, and then there would be nothing to eat. But God specifically made plants that bore seeds that would reproduce, and, he, and would, would grow food. And then he made trees who, that bore fruit, that had seeds, that would reproduce. Why? Because he was making a provision of food for what he would create later. That's the beginning of a provision that God was making for us. And that's why he points out those particular types of vegetation and sets them apart from all the others because there was a special purpose for those. And it was going to be for us. It was going to be for the life that he would create. Let's keep going. Look at verse 14. Then God said... Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. As well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw, evening came and then morning, the fourth day. So this is the placement of the sun, the placement of the moon, the placement of the stars. Now there's a, a question, if you're reading Genesis, a question that sometimes comes up is, um, well, when did God actually create the sun and the moon and the stars and, and all of the celestial bodies? Did he do it in verse 1 when Genesis says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Or did he do it in verse 14 here? So here's my deep theological answer to that question. You ready? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, what we see... In, in verses 14 through 19, is, there's, there's different things in the text when you dive into it that it, it can say in different ways that it can be translated. In some cases, when they look at the syntax of the Hebrew, it seems as, as if on day four, maybe what could have been was that, yes, in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth and the things that are in the heavens. But then in this account in day four, not even so much that God brought it into existence from nothing, but he created the purpose and the placement of those things that he had created. And so here was the sun and the moon and the stars. And I want you to see the purposeful placement of all of those things and the reasons for those. He says that I'll place the sun and the moon to distinguish and regulate the day from the night. He says they will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. This is the beginning of time. 
This is the beginning of God creating time in the space that he was making for us to live in. He was giving us a way to regulate and measure time. He was creating the seasons. And he knew that, that this is what we would need and the structure that he was building for us to live on. And so he placed them for that. This was the beginning of time. This was the beginning of direction because how do we tell direction? We use the, what, what's in the sky to be able to know what direction is what. Where is north, south, east, and west? So God was establishing the directions of the world in the placement of the sun and the moon. He was giving us the, the elemental light that would be needed for life to exist on earth. He had created plants, and we know that plants need sunlight, right? And so we need sunlight. The, the, the sun would not only provide light, but provide the energy that would be needed for life. And God was placing it in its place to, to provide that perfectly. And if you study astronomy at all, you know that that there's a, a very precise placement of the distance between earth and the sun. If the earth was any closer to the sun, life wouldn't be able sustainable. We would all burn up and disintegrate because it would be too hot. If the earth was just slightly further away from the sun than where it is, then also we wouldn't be able to sustain life because it would be too cold. It would be polar here it, it would, it, and we couldn't live. God... By his own account, placed the earth in the exact proper place in distance and proximity to the sun to build life as he knew it would, it would be needed. And so he put it precisely in the right place. This was also the marking of day and night, the beginning of the calendar. The beginning of, because what we would see later is that God would create a calendar for Israel for his people and he would mark particular festivals and times of worship and those were determined by where the sun and the moon were it was determined by the calendar and so in this day this is the this is the creation of time this is the creation of seasons this is the creation of the calendar the creation of the compass the 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 directions all of these things took place in God placing the heavenly bodies there and then look at verse 20 then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sea. So God created the sea, the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw what? God blessed them. Be fruitful. Multiply and fill the waters of the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning, the fifth day. Day five was the creation of the aquatic and flying creatures that parallels the creation of the sea and the sky in day two. So you see the preparation of God at work in day two when he separated and made the space and he created the sea and the sky in day two. This was the follow-up or the fulfillment of what he did on day two in day five when he filled the sky or the space that he had created with living life in birds. And then he filled the seas that he had created with life as well. And there's a couple of things that I, that I want you to, to notice. One is it says that God blessed them. This is the first mention of this. It says that God blessed them. You say, well, why is this? Because the life that he was creating in birds and in animals, in, in the sea creatures, was a conscious life that was different from the life he was created in, the, in vegetation and plants. He created plants and vegetation to, to reproduce, but their life, like we say, that there's, there's life in the plants. There is, but it's an unconscious life. It's a life that reproduces and goes through the cycle of life, but it's an un, it lives in an unconscious state. Now he's created creatures that would live in the world he's created in a consciousness. They would reproduce as he blessed them and said, reproduce and fill the earth. 
but he blessed them because they were, they were in consciousness. And there's another thing that maybe you've already noticed that we've already seen. But all through the account, you see in verse 21, as he created the living creatures in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. This is a, this is a specific pray, phrase. This is God creating the various array of animals and creatures according to its kind, which means there was a specific creation of all of the different kinds. And if we want to allow God's word to be the beginning of what we believe about creation, then this idea refutes macroevolution. The idea that there was one creature that came into being and then other creatures and species of different kind came out of came and evolved out of one main life form that there was one and then all the different varieties that came of it came from this one that is not the account that God gives us in Genesis that phrase according to its kind meant there was purpose there was diversity in the creation that God made and he created each individually according to how he designed that particular bird or fish to live and to function in creation. We don't see anything in the story that God tells of a, of a primary life form that then emerges and evolves into everything. That's just not what we see. And so this is the account of day five. And we see this same, um, according to its kind, carry over into day six. Now, day six is special. But look at verses 24 and 25. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures. There it is, according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that crawl. And the wildlife on the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. The livestock according to their kinds. And all the creatures that crawl on the ground. What? According to their kinds. And God saw what? It was good. Just like day five. The creation of the birds and the fish parallels the creation of the sky and the seas in day two. Day six parallels with day three. Day three, the creation of the earth and the separation of the land from the sea. And so now day six is the creation of the wild animals that would live on the earth. And he mentions different kinds of animals. He talks about the livestock according to their kind, the wildlife according to their kind, and the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kind. And so you almost have like what, what you see three things, that there were some animals that God would create to be wild animals. There would be some that were livestock, some creatures that God created um, to, be, to be used and to be, um, be used by men, to be tamed. There were some animals that were meant to be tamed. There were some animals that were meant to be wild. And then there were the things that, that creep on the ground that are, not, that are not four-legged creatures, but they're just here. We don't tame them, but there's these different things. And each one has different purposes. And again, there were all sorts of creatures. It says he created them according to their kind. We don't see any picture of a macro evolution. There is room in the Genesis story for the fact that as, as things grow over time, you say, Eric, there's evidence that, that species start out and they grow and they change and all that. Yes, absolutely, there's room for that. That's called microevolution, and there's room for that. But the macroevolutionary idea that there was one life source and everything was created from this one life thing that was created, that's, that, there's just no room for that in God's story. And if we... And if we if we have to make it a part of the story, then we're reading something into the text of God's word that's not there. Does that make sense? Okay. So, but also day six was going to be special. Now, this is the pinnacle. 
okay, of day six, starting in verse 26. And then we're, 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 getting to the, we're getting to the meat of what I want to share with you this morning. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. You say, why does he say our and us? This is triune God at work in creation. You remember we said that the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all active, a part of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, all active in creation. And God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife on the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And so, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good Indeed. You see, that's different. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. The one and only creation of God that was made to bear the image of the creator was man. The only thing that God made that he intended to bear the image of himself was you and I. Was mankind. The creation of man is set apart in the story. It's set apart in creation. And so that shows that from the very beginning when God created man, he created man in a, in a special relationship with him from the start. Man shares something with God that nothing else in creation shares. We are made in his image. And let me just say this. Do not let anybody tell you that all life is equally valuable with human life. Um, that, that the life of a tree or the life of an animal is the same as a life of, of a person. I'm not saying that we just have no regard for nature, but it is not the same. And it was not created the same. It is, it is set apart. We were made to, to bear the image of God. And that puts us at the top. That puts mankind as the pinnacle of all that God created. And there's some points that we need to notice in what he says about the creation of man. And I'm going to hit this and move on. But verse 27 says that he created him in the image of God, he created them male and female. This is a parallel to what he says of all the vegetation and all of the living creatures that he created all things according to its kind. He did the same thing with humanity, but there were only two. And there is only two. There is only male and there is only female. <laughs> I didn't say that. God did. Okay? Do you understand? If we're letting God's word be the foundation for everything, we have to understand there is only two. And any deviation from this is a result of sin. It's either the result of the cursed state of the world in the fact that, 
that science and creation and genetics and because of the cursed state of the world, sometimes people are born in, in, in anonymity to like in, in like their anomalies to, to male, female. Like, yes, we acknowledge that that's true. But that is true as a result of the fallen state of the world. And the fallen state of the world is because of sin. Also, any idea that comes into the mind of man that says, I don't fit into this design that God has made. That also comes from sin. It's the result of sin. It is not, God did not make you any other way than this. Sin made people lots of different ways. But God made them male and female because that's what his word says. And we can trust that. There's also a thing in verse 29. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of the guys in the room with me, you might have noticed this. But in verse 29, you notice that the only food that God says he's made available to men and to animals is the vegetation. At this point in creation, there is no meat eating. That in the original creation account, men were created as vegetarians. And you say, whoa, hold on a minute. <laughs> hey, I'm right there with you. I'm not a vegetarian. Will not be a vegetarian. But this was the original state. This was before the fall. Before the curse of sin came into the world. Men were made to be vegetarians. The good news is that by Genesis chapter 9 verse 3, and you can make a note of that if you need to, Genesis 9 3... After the fall, that is the first place in scripture where we see God deliberately give command and permission of man to kill and eat animals. And that was after the flood. It was after the flood when Noah and his family came off the ark and God specifically says to them, not only now can you eat the, the plants and the trees and the, and the fruit, but you can also kill and eat the animals. And so there you go. You're, you're off the hook. You don't have to be... You don't have to be a vegetarian according to the Bible. But in this point, at this point in creation, that is, that is the way it was. So aside from God, man was made as the most powerful and authoritative being in creation. Because you notice when God, it says that God blessed them. He blessed mankind. And he said, he said all the same things to us that he said to the animal kingdom. He says, be fruitful multiply and fill the earth but then he adds something to our command he says be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it and that word subdue means to bring under control to bring to subjection and to care for so he gave us responsibility and authority over all the rest of creation he says not only are you to reproduce and grow and live as the rest of creation, but you are in charge. You, you are to subdue everything that I've put on the earth and to rule over the animal kingdom. He uses that word rule, to have authority over the animal kingdom. So God made all these things. He went through this process and then he created man as the pinnacle of his creation. And what we see even here in Genesis 1 that when he placed man on the earth, he said, I've made all this for you. You say, why did, why did he make all of these things? Why, why did he make the earth the way it is? Well, he made it for you. Has anybody wondered why Ben's sitting up here? <laughs> Have you figured it out? Y'all remember what this looked like last week, right? It was just a table full of random pieces. And I told you that there was a picture, there was a vision of what this was going to look like. And every piece was purposeful, but it needed somebody to put it together. And so we took that home last week and Ben was like, well, you've already opened it. So since you opened it in front of everybody, I'm going to start putting it together. And I was like, okay. So we, he, he did. He worked on it at home. And what he had at home was this part up to about right here and some of this that's up in here. And so you've been watching him take each of those 
made pieces, specifically made to come together and create something that had a purpose. That had a vision. And what you're, I feel like what we, what we see here is, a, is a, a really good way for us to kind of connect with what God has just done in Genesis 1. Have you ever wondered and asked the question like I've asked before, why did God take six days to make everything? Because if we believe God is sovereign and all-powerful and authoritative as we believe that he is, as I've said to my kids, could, could God not have just thanos everything? And if you're a Marvel person, you know what I'm talking about. Could he not have just snapped his fingers and the six-day state of the earth had just been in place? Could he have spoken, let the world be complete, and in that moment, everything that we see on day six of creation would have been made perfectly, everything in its place, to function and live the way God designed? Could God have done that? Absolutely he could have done it. And so that should make us ask the question, why six days? Why did he space it out? Was it because he needed to? Was it because he got tired? <laughs> like we do. No. Not only is it what he created that was for us, but the way he created it was also for us. Here's the point I want you to get this morning. In his six-day creation... God established a pattern for how we would live, work, and worship Him. God did not take six days to create the world because He had to. Or because He needed to. He did it to set a pattern for you and I. He did it to establish and show us how He wanted life to be for us. And he knew what we would be capable of and what we would not be capable of. I want you to see in Exodus chapter 20. This is the answer. Why, was there, why did he take six days to create the world? Exodus chapter 20 beginning in verse 8. This is, this is when God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. And he gets to the fourth one. Verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. Why? Why? For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. God didn't need six days to get the job done. He took six days to do it for us. He did it to show us what we would be able to do and the way he would set life in motion for us to do it we're going to talk next week a little more about because we're going to get into chapter two and we're going to see where God rested on the seventh day and there's a lot that we can talk about on that so we're going to save that for next week okay the beginning of chapter two but I want you to see here the theme of preparation the theme of preparation do you remember those of you that are parents do you remember when you got news that you were going to have your first baby do you remember what it was like when you got to, took that first pregnancy test or you got that first test result from the doctor that said, yes, you're, you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby? From that moment, that news came to you, preparation began, didn't it? It, it started in your mind. And you immediately began to think, what do we need to do to get ready for this baby to come? And you start working. And I remember when we found out we were pregnant with Tyler. It's like, oh boy. Okay, here we go. And, and, and it's, this, it's this movement of preparation that starts. 
things in your mind. You begin to prepare yourself. You begin to prepare your home and your space. You got to go. There's got to be a room dedicated for the nursery. So we have to go in and figure out what needs to be done in the room. What do we need to take out? What do we need to clean up? What do we need to, to cover the walls with? Hopefully it's paint and not wallpaper. Um, Maybe, like, what are we going to hang on the walls? How are we going to create this space for our baby? What kind of furniture are we going to put in there? Like, what size does it need to be? What colors does it need to be? All of the details, you guys know, every detail matters, right? There's not anything that, that anybody just goes, oh, we'll just throw that in there and that'll be fine. Like, no, not when your baby's coming. It's, it's a big deal. Clothes, furniture, gadgets, strollers, car seats, all of those things have to be chosen and picked out and put together and prepared. Why? Because you've got a baby in mind. In every piece of everything that you pick out, in every piece of work that you put into that room, you put into that car, you put into your house, everything that you do in preparation is with that baby in mind. And why do you work so hard to prepare for a baby? You know why? Because up until that point, you never knew you could be in love with something that much. Up until that point, you never knew that you could love someone else as much as you already love this baby. And he or she is not even here yet. But you are working to prepare. And every preparation doesn't feel like work. Why? Because it's coming from an overflow of love. It's coming from an overflow of affection. And so every little piece has to be just right because you want day one when that baby comes into that nursery for everything to be exactly the way it's supposed to be for them to be able to have the best life, the best first days of life at home as possible, right? Here's the big point to end with we see that all the work of God in creation was a good work of preparation for us you prepare everything to be perfect for that baby because you're madly in love with him from the very moment God's mouth opened and he spoke light into creation. And he separated the, the, the sky and the sea. And then he separated the land from the water. And he created the birds and he created the animals and he created all things. Everything that he created was in preparation for man. It was in preparation so that, so that the first day when... when when Adam came into being, when Adam was created from the dust of the earth, and we'll get into that in chapter 2, but when Adam was created, I imagine that the heart of God was like our heart when we brought our baby home from the hospital and walked him into his room for the very first time. I said, look at all this. This is all for you. All of this work, every piece of everything that you see around you has been placed and prepared on purpose. Because we're crazy in love with you. God's preparation of the world in creation was not just because it was something he had to do. It was something that he did to prepare the world for, to, to, to be a place where he and man could live and be together. And you notice there's a difference in Genesis 1 verse 31. After he was finished, it says, Then God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. He didn't say it was good because he needed to brag on himself. He didn't step back and declare all of his creation good because he needed to stroke his own ego to step back and look at everything that he'd made and went, man, that looks good. That's what you and I do. When God said it is good in every step of creation as he was taking every piece and he was putting it together 
And slowly with each day, it was coming into shape to be the perfect planet that he wanted to create. It was going to be the perfect place for the people he was going to create to live and breathe and walk and dwell with him. He was creating the perfect place for man and God to live and dwell together. And with every piece he was putting together, he was saying, this is good. What he was really saying was, this is so good for you. And every day he stepped back and he said, this is good for them. This is good. This is good. And then when man came into the picture and everything was complete, he looked at it and he said, this is very, very good. You know why? Because that was his picture all along. His desire was to create a place where he and man could be together. But then as we'll see soon, sin came into the picture. And that union of God living and dwelling with man on earth was broken. But God had already made a preparation for that too. Because he had a plan for his son. He had a plan for God the son to come. Become part of man. To become man. To live. To breathe. To live a holy, perfect life. To die and give that life as a sacrifice. So that his sin could conquer death. His blood could conquer sin. It could conquer death. It would remove the separation that was created by sin. For the purpose of what? Bringing man back in relationship with God the way it was when he created it. And God is still preparing for that. God is still in preparation. I want you to see John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3. Listen to the words of Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to what? Prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Do you see the full circle? God created the earth to be the perfect place for man and God to dwell together. Sin wrecked it. But God, in his preparation, made a way for redemption. He made a way for salvation. And he prepared the way for what in the end will be the same as it was in the beginning. He is preparing a place. Not just for us to hang out for eternity. Not just a place for us to just enjoy that's going to be great, which it is. But the purpose of it is, he says, I will go to prepare a place. I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. It's all about his presence. It's all about being with him. God's desire in the beginning was for man And God to dwell together. And his desire and his purpose and what he will will make happen in the end is that God and man will live together on this earth that he's created. It's full circle. Why does God do all that? Because he loves us more than anything. More than anything on this created world. We are his prize. We are his precious creation. And he has literally moved heaven and earth to bring us together with him. And for us, the way we can know that's a promise for us is through a relationship with Jesus. Through the shed blood of the Son on the cross. To save and rescue us from the sin and the death that separated man from God. So God's, everything that God made in the beginning was good. And in the end, everything that he will have made will be even better.